You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. At the Restaurant Franchising and Innovation Summit, executives from leading brands will share their success stories of the numerous ways they have innovated to grow their franchises. Attendees will gain insight and inspiration to help them be more progressive in every facet of their businesses. Register today at FranchisingInnovation.com. Hello and welcome back to the QSR Web Podcast. I'm QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Editor Shelley Whitehead, and we have some really fun subjects to jump into on today's show, including delving into the fine art of the marijuana-related QSR by one of that category's most veteran players, Chiba Hut, and its Chief Relationship Officer, Seth Larson, we'll be talking to in a few minutes. We promise not to disappoint. But first, we're gonna roll into the fun and sometimes funky world of food trucks. As food truck operator editor Elliot Maris stops his reporting duties for a few minutes to tell us where that business is heading in the year ahead. Welcome, Elliot. How has the past year been for the food truck industry? And what do you think are the biggest factors that will be affecting this industry in the next 12 months? Oh, the uh, the main the main observation I have is it continues to grow. Uh, more and more uh, people are getting into running food trucks. It's it's an an inducement for many aspiring chefs to have their own food truck. Uh, they realize that they can afford to have a food truck a lot more more easily than starting a brick and mortar restaurant. So it continues to be uh, attractive. At the same time, uh, one of the other driving trends I see is the fact that this country's cuisine has just become so much more diverse, and, and the consumer in general is just so much more accepting of so many different types of cuisines that uh, that continues to be a driver for people. Uh, but on a more serious note, uh, one of the most challenging aspects that people face when they get into the food truck business is meeting local regulations, which can be very restrictive. But on a positive note, in the past year, I've noticed that more and more municipalities all over the country are taking a much more cooperative approach to food trucks. Instead of just banning them outright or enacting very strict rules, although that still does exist in some areas, uh, they're they're becoming a lot more uh, receptive and accepting of food trucks because they realize that people like food trucks. And in many cases, food trucks are serving as a way to help make a commercial district more desirable. And that's in the economic interest of most municipalities, uh, especially if they're trying to revive certain areas. Uh, Food trucks have been a great enticement for arts and craft festivals, and they just provide such a variety of of food options for people. So uh, it's good to see that so many municipalities are coming around to seeing the benefits of food trucks. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. Um, They kind of feed each other. You Mm -hmm. know, I I was reading some of your top stories of the last year and saw that your audience really gravitated toward the story on trends menu trends for the rolling restaurants that you cover. Some of those surprised me. What's hot on wheels these days? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the simple answer to that, Shelley, is variety. Variety, variety. Uh, the customer's uh, taste today is so diverse. 
partially because of food trucks. Food trucks make it easier for people to become, become exposed to more different types of food. And because of the quality of so many of these food trucks, many people are realizing they like different types of cuisines that they may not have normally gravitated towards. So, you know, as far as trends, boy, it, it, everything's out there. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get a little specific. Uh, Southern comfort type food, uh, that, that continues to be, uh, be very popular. We're seeing some of that appear in some of the northernmost uh, climates that you might not expect it. Mexican, of course, is still strong, as are other uh, Latin types of cultures, such as Cuban, Puerto Rican, uh, Peruvian, and Chilean. Uh, barbecue has moved beyond the south. Uh, it's, it's now even in the northwest where it didn't exist prior to maybe a year ago. The traditional standbys of Italian and Chinese, they, they remain very popular. Middle Eastern fare is coming on strong. This includes cuisines from uh, Lebanon, Egypt, uh, Israel, Syria, and many others. Indian, of course, continues to be very popular. And uh, Moving to more of a, a, an ingredient orientation, anything functional or health-related, uh, that, that continues to grow as people are becoming increasingly health-conscious. So fun to cover. Um, what an innovative <laughs> you know, business sector. There's so much going on and so many cool ideas. And I, I also understand in your, your top stories this past year, the basic business management stories were really high on the list for your readers. What kind of things does that tell you about these food truck operators? Well, Shelley, it wasn't just in the past year that the business management stories tended to dominate reader interest. That's been the case since we started Food Truck Operator uh, in, in 2016. And I think that's going to continue to be the case for quite a while because the impetus for most people getting into food trucks today is uh, from a culinary uh, standpoint. Most of the entrepreneurs are driven by the desire to uh, create uh, great uh, tasting food and to share it. Many of them are professional chefs getting into business for themselves. Uh, many are aspiring chefs. Uh, but, but because their motivation is of a culinary bent, Many of these people do not have a strong business background, which is why we see uh, topics like how to write a budget and how to have a good marketing plan and how to hire people. Those are, are, are so well read because that's where the food truck operator in general tends to, be, to need the most help. Kind of sounds like an opportunity for somebody, some wise business person to uh, put together <laughs> some sort of, of organization that could, they could tap into. But, you know, when you, when you talk about complex things, I think of, I think of technology and equipment innovation. And I'm just wondering what are some of the big areas in that for food truck operators? Yeah. Because that's, they, they have very specific concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to technologies is, is uh, critical everywhere today uh, for any type of business. I just uh, spent some time this week at the consumer, what was called the Consumer Electronics Show. It's not called the CES Show. For food trucks, I think one of the uh, biggest opportunities we're seeing from a tech technology standpoint 
is more and more point-of-sale systems are coming on the market. We're seeing more of them introduced from many manufacturers with more capabilities, and uh, some of them can even accept cryptocurrencies. Also, uh, I think one of the greatest opportunities that I've come across in the last year is the self-serve kiosk on the food truck. Self-serve kiosks are growing very rapidly in restaurants, quick-serve restaurants and fast-casual restaurants. Uh, McDonald's is, has gotten into it and given it a lot of visibility. But there, there have been some that are, have been specifically designed for food trucks, and they have shown a great deal of promise. You know, when I think about it, the, 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 the self-serve kiosk actually makes more sense for a food truck even than it does for a restaurant, because with a food truck, uh, when you have a big event, the the uh, time that it takes to to for the customer to wait for their order to be taken, uh, it, it's very critical. When you have a self-order kiosk there, you don't have to have an employee taking the order. So it's it's uh, I think it's got a lot of promise. And then moving to the food preparation side of of things, uh, as far as uh, new technology. There's a lot more equipment out there that can heat food a lot faster, a lot more powerful ovens, and, and many of them are being designed to fit into much smaller uh, areas, which is which is great for food trucks. So there's there's a trend in that area as well. Wow. Well, I also wonder. I mean, you're a reporter just like me. What was your favorite story to cover uh, last year? <laughs> well, and and and. On one hand, Shirley, that's very easy to answer. It's just that there wasn't one. Uh, there, there were actually four that all fit, that all fit into one category. <laughs> and, and, and that is uh, the way that the food trucks played an important role in responding to natural disasters. Uh-huh. Oh, boy, that, that, that is just such an incredible thing to be a part of. And I was lucky to have a chance to... Uh, meet some of these people uh, over the phone and via email and get their stories. But, uh, you know, we had most recently these record fires in North Ca- uh, California and Southern California. Yeah. Uh, we Earlier in the year, we had mudslides in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, then we had uh, Hurricane Michael in the floor, on the Florida Panhandle. And then we had Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas. In every single one of these cases, Food truck operators did not hesitate for one minute to get out there and do do what they could to feed people, feed the first responders, to feed the people who were displaced. I talked to so many people, Shelley, that that, uh, just drove, some of them drove great distances. Many of them worked hours and hours and hours on on end uh, to to, to feed people all for free. They invested thousands of dollars without hesitating to think about it. Uh, it was just for me. It was just so personally moving to to see the kind of response that the food truck operators had. The sense of social responsibility. I I just couldn't be. Uh, I I just feel so lucky to have the opportunity to to be working with these people and working in their industry. There are so many great people out there in this industry. That's really interesting because so many of the the brands you know that have brick and mortar stores there are left non-functional because they've been hit by the the hurricane or the fires or whatever um, catastrophe has swept in. Um, so 
they really are. Um, they really are providing an amazing surface. And, and that's so important to the community as a whole when they're stricken by something like that. Yes. And, and I think that that might also be playing into the willingness of more local governments to be a little bit more flexible in their, in their food truck rules because they're realizing how important the food trucks are when there is a, some kind of an emergency need for food. What a great industry. Elliot, thanks so much for dropping in to give us the latest on food trucks. I love the beat. I really appreciate it. And I would also appreciate it if our audience would come right back right after this break to listen to our next guest. Chiba Hutt, Chief Relationship Officer, Seth Larson. Many of the fastest growing and most successful chains in the restaurant industry are embracing innovation throughout their operations. These forward-thinking brands are constantly looking for the next innovation. New technologies, new menu items, new marketing tactics, new training programs, etc. that will propel them to even greater heights. Come and learn these innovations at the Restaurant Franchising and Innovation Summit. Register today at FranchisingInnovation.com And we're back! Restaurant exec listeners, please just loosen your ties and kick off the heels while we welcome something a little different from your traditional restaurant brand into the house, Chiba Hut. This 20-year-old limited service brand has been very much on the burning edge of marijuana-related food service sector, and regardless of your beliefs about pot, as a restaurateur, you are likely quite interested in this little pot of gold known as Cannabis Connected Food Service. To that end, today with us is Chiba Hut Chief Relationship Officer, Seth Larson, here to answer as many questions as we can jam into about 15 minutes. Beginning, Seth, with your current store count, franchises, and your presence geographically. Absolutely. Um, Shelly, thank you uh, for having me today. Um, like you mentioned, we are uh, a toasted sandwich, fast casual concept. Uh, we do have bars at most of our locations, and we've been doing business since 1998. Uh, we have nine company stores um, and 13 franchised units currently operating in seven states, uh, most, mostly in the Southwest, uh, but also in Wisconsin uh, and Oregon. We have three more stores that are due to be open by the end of uh, this month. So it's been a busy month. Um, we'll have 25 total, which is uh, it's a big milestone for us. Uh, we also have three store deals signed for Atlanta, uh, as well as the Inland Empire in California, and a few more in the works for 2019. You know, we play well in college markets, and uh, but also have no problem doing business in uh, cities or select suburbia. Wow. I think many may assume that your brand is all about the ganja, with only a passing interest in the sandwiches as the focus of your menu, but that that's really not the case, is it? No, uh, great question too. At the core, we're, we're, we're foodies. We're, we're all food driven. Uh, we love great food. If, you're, if your food is no good and your service sucks, no one's coming back, no matter how good your theme is. Um, so that's something that we recognized a long time ago. Um, you know, we almost have to go above and beyond what other concepts have to, to kind of get over those uh, preconceived notions, um, especially in new markets that we enter. So our game is strong. You know, our goal is to make sure that everyone that comes in feels super comfortable, whether you're a college student, a stoner, a professional, a young family, 
a little bit older. You know, we're an inclusive brand. We want everyone to uh, to feel what we're throwing down, you know, and, and hopefully uh, they are, you know, and there's, you know, plenty of times throughout a day uh, at any one of our shops where, you know, people don't put two and two together. They just know that they come in, they get great food, you know, warm, genuine service, and, and it's at a fair price. And that's why they keep coming back. So, you know, we're, we're definitely food driven. You know, we focus on the food, the service and the atmosphere. You know, we're not so different from other fast casual brands. We're just uh, subtly flipping the bird to the man. You know, you don't get to, you know, you don't get to, you know, our, our super healthy AUVs by ostracizing chunks of, of society and making people feel uncomfortable. So, you know, we're an inclusive brand and, and we want uh, everyone to feel welcome. And I think we've done a good job of that over the last 20 years. So if you had to describe your Mr. and Ms. Chiba Hut, who your target customer is through your marketing and your brand aesthetics and the like, tell us about that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. We pride ourselves on, on really owning that 18 to 40 year old demographic. You know, a lot of brands are, are shooting for that demographic. We feel like we truly do own it. You know, we also own group dining. You know, a lot of other sandwich concepts out there, you go solo and you try to get out of there as fast as possible. You know, we want we want groups of people coming um, and we want them to stay for a little bit longer than they typically would at a fast casual. You know, there's two people that drive group dining decisions, people with dietary restrictions, and it's people that want to drink alcohol. And uh, luckily, we're in the position where we can cater to both. Our brand it, it lends itself to, uh, to to music and art. Um, all of our stores have uh, murals done by local artists. Um, you know, anytime we have a chance to partner up with any any music event, that's important. Um, and those, you know, art and music uh, speak loudly to that 18 to 40 year old demographic. Um, so that's that's a really good thing and a natural relationship. You know, we, we don't do print ads. We don't do traditional advertising. Founder Scott Jennings is big on, on $5 day where he just hands out $5 bills to people in line. You know, we're, we don't discount. We're, we're of the thought process that, um, you know, we'd rather give it away than discount. We don't want, you know, our brand driven by couponing like you see with, you know, a lot of other brands out there. You know, and I think, you know, consumers are sharp these days and uh, they can they can sniff out an imposter pretty quick. So, you know, staying true to our founding principles is super important. You know, we're going to continue that as we grow. Do you work on pairing uh, sandwiches with some of your booze options or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it is a little bit different, but it's it's not so different. So um, when we first started uh, incorporating bars into into what we do is back in 2004. And uh, in all honesty, it was uh, mainly a perk for our employees. Um, we, were, we weren't really counting on it to drive a ton of sales. Fast forward 10 or 15 years later, and, uh, you know, it is, it, it accounts for some serious sales. You know, however, you know, even at our busiest bars at our shops, uh, it still only accounts for 20% of our sales. So, you know, we're always going to be sandwich driven first, um, not the other way around. It's always going to be a sandwich shop with a bar, not a bar with a sandwich shop. And again, you know, we want people to stay longer and I, and, the, and the bar helps with that. You know, we've we've always prided ourselves on, on being the place to, to start your night. So you come in, you grab, you know, two beers, a little bit of food, and then you move on to, to the next place uh, of the evening. So, you know, we want to be the place to go before you go. You know, we're not the concept that does beer pairings. You know, we're, we're a sandwich shop, but we're knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, you can tell by our beer, line, our beer lineup and our beer partners, as well as all of our liquor partners that, you know, we take a lot of pride in, in who we partner with and, and what we're choosing to, to serve. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, too, people 
uh, their habits have changed, their dining habits. We would love if every customer came in and ordered a 12-inch sandwich, chips, and a drink. But that's just not reality. You know, maybe they come in with their buddy. They each order a four-inch sandwich. Uh, they split an order of pretzel nuggets, grab a beer or two, and, and that's how people are, are dining now. So, you know, we don't care how they come in and patronize our business. You know, as long as they're coming, we're stoked with that. But people have definitely changed the way that that they eat. And uh, we definitely, we're not driven by the times. You know, we, we're kind of trendsetters, you know, we're not trend followers. So I think we've done a good job there and, and have recognized that early on. I was going to say, so, you know, you were kind of out there in the beginning, but now the floodgates have really opened for marijuana associated restaurants. And I wonder how does Chiba Hut fit in the picture as it is today and really make a place for itself long term for success? Absolutely. Great question, Shelly. It is a great time to be alive. Uh, you know, we've talked about riding the green wave all the time. We talk about it every day. And the fact of the matter is we've been paddling very hard for 20 years to ride that wave. So, um, you know, there's no question that uh, marijuana is more palatable now uh, than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, you know, we offer um, franchisees uh, potential to uh, invest in a cool brand kind of with, you know, one toe in the water, uh, which I think is where most entrepreneurs and investors want to be. Um, you know, we're, we're a cool concept and you can kind of dabble in that green space and uh, you don't have to, you know, jump in with uh, with two feet. So, you know, that that's interesting. And, um, you know, we've had people try to spin our brand over the years and it hasn't been very successful for them. You know, opening a restaurant is hard. Opening a pot themed restaurant is even harder. So, you know, we feel like we've really carved out the niche uh, over the last 20 years. And as long as we, you know, stay true to our principles, add great people to our team, which is everything. It's all about the team uh, and produce excellent food. Uh, the sky's the limit for us. So where is the brand headed uh, nationally and even internationally? Yeah. So, you know, we're going to continue to add company stores uh, because that's, you know, we believe in our brand and, and what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we don't want uh, our franchisees to be crash test dummies. So, you know, we're going to continue to add, you know, company stores as we grow. Uh, we're also going to add franchise partners in select markets that make sense. Uh, there's no doubt about it that, you know, there's plenty of cities uh, in the United States and beyond um, that deserve a Chiba Hut. And, you know, hopefully we'll be there soon. Thanking for the future. Seth, thank you so much for dropping in. I love that a statement that you just made, we don't want our franchisees to be crash test dummies. Uh, <laughs> well put. Granted, this QSR web podcast is not as fun a place as Chiba Hut, but we do appreciate your time and really wish you all continued success. And that's going to be all for this week's show. But please, everyone listening, come back next Friday right here on QSR web to learn the icy truth about all things Dippin' Dots related when CMO Michael Barrett pops in for a chat about that frosty brand. Until then, have a monumental weekend and a profitable business week ahead. <laughs>